We are live. This is our very first um, bonus episode. It was your idea, Mom. So this is Outline of a Murder. I am Sherry Wilson. Got Mom here on the podcast. Say hello. Hello. Are we going to be something, but No. Maybe it's too early. I'm not in the mood, but... I didn't even think about that. I don't mind. I mean, that would have been something good to say, you know, before we started. I know. I didn't think of it till just now. Just saying. Oh, and I have news. What news? Well, I'll be 49, you know, what? Wow. 10 days. Right. And I had to go through that thing, you know, where if I had to read close, I'd have to lift up my you know, like glasses. I yep. Mm-hmm. I, I bit the bullet. And I now have progressives. <laughs> yep, yep. About when I got them too, probably around fifty. But you know what? I still have to do it. I know. But you know, you are a lot older. So. I wouldn't say a lot. Well, you should be. I mean, <laughs> yes, but yeah. not a lot. But uh, yeah, I, I'm very excited about my progressives here, and I, I like can the uh, see shape things. Of it. Thank you, cat eye. Mm-hmm. No cat eyes. No, mine are cat eyes. That's what they call them? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yep. I'll show you some real cat eyes from pictures of my childhood. Okay. The real cat eyes. Oh, okay. Well, thin with a little... Anyway. <laughs> move on. Okay. Now, you suggested this case. Yes. And um, why why did you want to do this case? Well, I had mixed feelings about this case. This case to me was really interesting. And you could, if you've seen specials about it, you can see a person slowly from up here, top, slowly just breaking down, breaking down, breaking down to murder. It's really fascinating. And I have mixed feelings on the victim and her. Because I could see where a person could do it. I can too. Um, I had mixed feelings as well until I dug up some stuff that um, might bring a little bit more light uh, to the, the, the case. What's interesting is, you know, in the seasons, which I've already started picking the cases for season three. Yay! Yep. We've got uh, two we're going to do. A lady named Peggy uh, wrote in and wanted um, to suggest two cases. And they have to go within the outline of, can we break down the case? Can we look for red flags and can we help people and both of her cases are perfect for it Um, so and anybody can go to our website and suggest a case because you look at all that absolutely yeah outline of a murder podcast.com and um but on the betty broderick i wasn't sure it fit so that's why we didn't do it the last season and so you had suggested maybe a bonus episode and but actually the more i dug into it the more it it would have been perfect for a season but Mm -hmm. uh i I like doing a bonus because we have people like i don't want to wait you know so uh, i get people saying that a lot yeah and i want to i want to go into gabby petito so we might do a a bonus on her if i can find enough information but this is a tough case uh for me, for several reasons. Right. The first one is it's hard not to be sympathetic for the killer. Right. 
which, you know, Betty Broderick, I mean, everybody knows probably who she is. If not, just Google her and you'll find out she is the one. Uh, but and I still feel sorry for her. I don't. And mm. it leads to the question, though, of why do we feel sorry for her, which you'll see as we go why I ask that question. And I wonder if it's because she's a woman. No, not for me. Well, for some it might be, but that's. Yeah. But I'm not saying that we feel sympathy just because she's a woman. What I'm saying is we have a more um, generous attitude toward her because she was a woman scorned. And, uh, you know, we've done cases where wives murder husbands, husbands murder wives, and there might even be some infidelity in the relationship, but there's not a lot of sympathy for the husband that kills the wife. No. Well, no. I mean, no. if, if the wife was driving the guy nuts and sleeping around, why do we feel bad for Betty Broderick, but not for, you know, a husband well, that's going through a similar thing? In fairness, though, I haven't heard too many stories with the husband going through it. But if there was a husband inside of me, I would feel sorry for him. Okay. Now, men kill women for different reasons, but very rarely do you see, well, I've heard of cases like this where they're just mentally broke down. We did one where a guy was, didn't we? Yeah, we did. And I'm not sure she was mentally broke down. I think there is actually a pattern. He was. I know, but I'm I'm saying I do not believe that Betty Broderick mentally broke down. And and I'll show you. I'm going to lay out the case. Okay. Because, you know, have an open mind because you seem to have it pretty closed. Well, right now, sitting here, yes. So I need you to, you know, take the padlock off. Open that sucker up. Open your mind. Um, Okay. Now, the other reason it's tough is because the way she was treated after all of her sacrifices uh, to make him successful. Now, the other thing, so when I I started diving into this case, I remember it. I was in, let's see, it was 89, just moved to Clovis, so I was about 17, 18 years old. I remember the case and how crazy I thought it was and how the world went nuts. I mean, Oprah interviews, you know, the whole, you know, nine yards. I wasn't really into true crime a lot then. The only thing that drew my attention to her, I remember on the news when I used to listen to real news, mm-hmm. they it showed her they were trying to get her off of the cell bunk on yep. the top, and she is fighting and screaming and kicking them, and that's what drew my attention to her case, mm-hmm. and I started watching everything I I could on her. I'm gonna read the book. I think um, no, it's not Anne Rule, a lady that's a true crime. Uh, author. She has a book on it. So I'm going to read it. I'll let you know when I find out later. But the other thing. So as I started diving in and going beyond what I remembered of the original crime, I had to know, did she have any diagnoses? Because, and we've, we talked about this before on the phone, it, you know, other people have gone through what she went through and they didn't kill everybody. You know, well, not everyone has a strong sound mind either. I mean, yeah, but People it's not normal for hitting a cat. I don't think she broke down. It's not normal to go in in the middle of the night, shoot two people, and make it where they cannot get help. That's just not normal. Even if you break down and you have crimes of passion all the time, it it just I I I felt that there were diagnoses there 
that maybe did not come out that are similar to the type of people we have already done cases on. And I did find uh, uh, two diagnoses on her. So we'll get to those. Right. But this is crucial because the reason I had to find out is if she didn't have any diagnoses of psychopathy or narcissism, then she literally broke down, like she lost her mind. Mm -hmm. But if she did have psychopathy and narcissism, which is a personality disorder, both of them, then she was not the wife and the mother she claimed. Because you cannot be psychopathic and narcissistic and be that caring and generous. So they also make up big stories about how great they are and they can't handle failure. So that's where I had to figure out, okay, was she a a wife that sacrificed everything, a normal person like, you know, us, and then the way her husband treated her and the way she couldn't get things that she needed during that time, is that what caused her to break down like you've suggested or did she have previous psychopathy and narcissistic behavior that actually makes her like other criminals we've investigated? So I'll give you what I found toward the end of the podcast. I, I, you know, when you pick somebody, I never look it up or re-look up if I know the case. But I, from what I've read back then and saw the special on her, I I wouldn't I would never describe her as a narcissist. But again, because she was very giving, a good mother. She sacrificed everything. But then again, it has been a while. Well, that's had, her perception. Well, it's quite a few people's perception. Uh, to me, anyway. Even her and friends I, said that that's not that was not always the case. Yeah, a lot of them said too that uh, she changed a lot. When this was starting, do you have uh, a lamp in the outfit. back that is a leg? Is that is that is that behind you? Is that a lamp with a yeah. leg? Yeah, Christmas story. Okay, so Jilly. We're not All right. Bad. Well, anyway, Stephen's leg. <laughs> so I blur my background. <laughs> I'm going to uh, present the facts and try not to be distracted by the creepy lamp in the corner. And then we'll discuss our conclusions at the end because, um, you know, you're going to start out thinking for sure that the hubby and the new wife deserved it. They definitely did not help it. So I'm going to try to present the facts as right. neutral as possible. Okay? okay. That'd be good. All right. So um, let's dive in first to Elizabeth Ann Beseglia, I think is how you pronounce her uh, maiden name. And um, she was born November 7th, 1947, and she grew up in the Bronx in a well-to-do family. She was the third of six children in a devout Roman Catholic family. And being a middle child, you know, so you got six kids, she's the third. That right there can create a lot of individualism, um, independence. You know, they usually go against the grain. Um, Right. And then uh, her dad uh, owned a plastering company, and uh-huh. I guess they had like several other relatives that were in on the, the company that ran it. And so that's why they were, you know, pretty good income. So she grew up in that type of um, environment. And then yeah. her mother was Irish and her dad was Italian. 
Now, oh, what a combination! Yeah, and you know, you don't want to say, "Well, I'm Italian, that's why I'm a jerk," you know, or "That's why I have a bad temper because oh, I'm no. Irish." But there's definitely different traits in different cultures, and so I could see how maybe that would play a role because you know, like New Yorkers tend to be loud and boisterous, and you know, right. almost rude. And people from the South have the idea, you know, that they're friendly and, you know, have that easygoing lifestyle. So some of that's true, but so, I, th- yeah. I thought that was an it's interesting. California, you know, I'm from California and I hear it all the time. Right. In fact, people find out where I am. There was one lady, she goes, oh, like, you know, that explains it. Oh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Just because. You hear things about people and places doesn't mean it's all true. Right. But I think in her case, it might have been. Now, Uh in my research over the last several weeks, uh, I've watched two movies on Mm -hmm. it. I've watched uh, is either two or three uh, true crime shows. I listened to an entire podcast on her. I was surprised. Well, I guess I shouldn't say surprised. I was irritated um, that one movie showed her more as a victim so that was the dirty john the betty broderick story which was really good i watched that and it did it showed her victim yeah and it omitted the fact that she had a boyfriend at this time and um and they said uh that they didn't want that in there to complicate the story but actually you know, it's part of the story if she's already moved on and has a boyfriend that actually is a negative for me for having sympathy because she's already dating other people and she's still just really angry. And that goes more along the lines of psychopathy and narcissism versus her breaking down. So um, that was kind of irritating that they didn't include that. The other one I bet you remember was from the 90s and it had Meredith Baxter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the one I remember the most. And that one... um, Definitely had a slant toward Dan. I I think they were more neutral. But what I didn't like is they omitted that Dan had been cheating on her since 19, either 82 or 83. I have it in my notes. They portrayed, you know, uh, Dan and Linda as angels. They did. They did. And they weren't. Now, I don't know about Linda. It's hard to know what exactly she did because the only person that's saying she did mean things to her is Betty Broderick. Um, and I've got some video I'm going to have you watch. And I'm going to point out a couple things too. But I also believe that Dan gaslit her. Oh, I do too, totally. Okay. But you know, back to the boyfriend, I believe, like I said, I haven't researched this since you said you were going to do it. But I think if I remember correctly, she started seeing him. When Dan started the affair with Linda. Oh, yeah. I don't know when. It didn't ever come out. She wanted to get back at him because he was doing it. You know, Mm -hmm. he's going to do it. I'm going to do it. You know how Mm -hmm. people. Yeah. Not not 100%. Okay. But I think I remember that. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't see that anywhere, but it could be the case. Because there's, you know, it's almost like two camps, those that are absolutely for her and those that are not. It's really hard to know what was truth and what wasn't. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to use her own words and other people and and see what we can come up with as far as uh, Betty Broderick. So she grew up in a typical family of that time. And so by that, which, I mean, you know, you're older, so you would, you would... No, this Why time. Does that seem to always come up. First of all, she's 75. 
Uh, well, you know. 10 years, 10 years, quite a bit younger. I'm just saying. Okay. So back then they were very family oriented, uh, devout. And then there were very clear roles of what a husband was to do and what a wife was to do or what a husband was to be and what a wife was to be. Yes. Yes. So it definitely, what isn't like, I mean, I even grew up in that time when me and Mike first got married, I didn't think twice about, I was the the wife, the homemaker, which I loved. I didn't have any problem with it. Uh, he lets me be me. I'm very independent. You know, like he didn't ever like, okay, woman, it's time to get my food on the right. table. You know, like it was nothing like that. Even the same way. Yeah. It's like, hey, I, you know, cook dinner and take care of the kiddo while he's at work. And I've always had a side business and stuff. But we definitely had more traditional conservative uh, family values. Yes. Uh, but I did raise Kent to help around the house because I felt that would be important for his future marriage. And sure enough, both of them serve each other in that way. So I'm very happy about that. But back then, you didn't see a man doing the dishes, never doing laundry, stuff like that. I never saw my dad do things like that. Yeah. Never. And when Mike did, I always felt around for a fever. I'm like, are you okay? <laughs> Why are you doing the dishes? Now, also in that conservative family-oriented mindset of the day that she was raised in, kids were to obey their parents, Mm -hmm. uh, which we probably need more of that, and go to school and be successful stand-up citizens in their communities, which quite Mm -hmm. frankly, I wish we had more of that. But the obedience to your parents, that was like you couldn't question, you know, you did what they said. Am I, that was just a given because you didn't think they were telling you wrong. You did what they said, period. Well, and you could get in trouble, too. You know, we had to stand in the corner. I would have rather been spanked. And she, they they actually were in the cusp of the 60s, mm-hmm. which um, it sounds like they stayed pretty conservative, even though they were in that time frame where people were throwing off all of those traditional values. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now. The reason I'm going into this is I think it plays a part in what happened with her and the breakdown of the marriage. Is that your doorbell or my doorbell? No, yours. Wow. You know, it just and never fails. Does the door not shut in your office? It is shut. Hmm. That's well, a big, loud. Here, your, your cuckoo clock, you know, and now I got my doorbell. Okay. So if... If the man of the house made all the decisions and seeing this her whole life and that being the culture she grew up when grew up in, it created this mindset that the woman sacrifices all of her dreams and everything that she wants so that the man can do what he is designed to do, which for our case, become a lawyer. Okay. In her own words, she said her goal was to be a perfect wife and mother okay oh she yeah go ahead i don't want to jump ahead no go ahead he was more than a lawyer Uh, oh yeah we're gonna get into that okay yeah i didn't want to jump ahead yeah okay so then we have that and then it does seem that her parents were strict and that can be a relative term though you know like were they strict meaning um, oppressive and overly strict or were they raised according to the standards of that day you know, it's like my grandpa, I mean, you know, he would appear to be strict to people. He's actually a very kind man. He just didn't put up with BS. 
right. you know. And uh, so um, were, were they normal, strict as far as the traditional values of that time, or were they oppressive and domineering? I don't know. Have you heard anything on that? No, I haven't. Okay. But with, the, with all the kids, I would think they'd be, I don't know. They might have to be a little that, bit. A little bit stricter. <laughs> six kids than, running around. Well, six, that's a lot of kids. Yeah, you'd have, and both of them would have to do discipline, I think. Or that, that word you hate to hear, wait till dad gets home. Oh, that's so annoying. You know, it's like, that's here you are. The mom, your kid has been a turd all day, not listen to you at all. And it's like, I'm going to tell daddy. And then. Bear straighten up, son. Okay. Oh, I wanted to smack both of them. It was ridiculous. (laughs) Okay. So they were both expected to be successful. So they had very high standards. Betty said, go to Catholic schools, be careful dating until you find a Catholic man, support him while he works, and then be blessed in your later years with beautiful grandchildren. Yes. That statement was her life goal. Okay, so that that was her one singular focus. And by the way, she was very ambitious. She may she not was. have you know, been ambitious how we would think as far as income and you know, going up the corporate ladder, but she was ambitious in living that life. She would have had a good life had she not met him. She was on a good start to what she wanted to do. She was, but, but she was she trained. To have family, and that's what she know, was trained. That. Yeah, yeah, that yes. was her goal. Now, mm-hmm. did she want to be that? It sounds like it, but at it, first, it sounds like it. It makes but. you wonder, like, what if she would have taken a different path? In fact, I found out she wasn't even attracted to him to start with. Mm-hmm. Didn't like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So. Hey, you know, I thought Mike was a nerd when I first met him. Yes, you did. But I won't go all Betty Broderick on him, you know. (laughs) Okay. Now, it's hard to take her on her word because she's deluded at times Mm -hmm. and on some things. Uh, But from her background, her era, what all happened, I believe that she was raised to be a housewife. I do. She graduated from Maria Regina High School in Hartsdale, New York in 65. And then she went on to the College of Mount St. Vincent with a degree in early childhood education through an accelerated program. She's smart. Yeah, very smart. Um, She had a minor in English as well. And so my assessment of her at this point, highly intelligent, driven, and she knew what she wanted. I 100% agree. Well, he did too. Oh, you know, yeah, we're going to get into him for sure. Before all this happened, I think she was very independent and, and had her goal, what she wanted to do and be. And I believed a lot of that stuff. But when the affair started and some of the things she said and said to the children, there's a lot of it I didn't believe. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're angry and you want to turn someone against somebody as she did with the children... Well, she uh, was beyond angry. Yeah, she was she was enraged. Okay, so we got her, you know, lined up. So far we're right. in agreement. Right. Okay, so now let's look at Dan um Broderick. And I don't want to be disrespectful to the the dead, but I Our family. Yeah, I do see why he was the way he was, and I'm gonna show you uh in my assessments. Um but they were probably destined to be in trouble as far as their marriage because they they really were not compatible. And I'll explain that. He was born in Pittsburgh, PA, in 1944. So I think he's like three years older. 
He was the oldest of a very large Irish family, uh, Irish Catholic family. They had nine kids. Holy cow. But you know the older child syndrome. Always Mm -hmm. right, perfect, do everything, you know, with excellence. I mean, obviously. (laughs) Um, (laughs) A little narcissist also. They can be. They actually can tend to be. So you've got the... Oh, the the um, eldest child type, you know, mentality. They tend to be very driven, very ambitious. They don't like failure, uh, overachievers, and that's very real. The birth place you have in a family is very real. You know, the baby is typically way different from the oldest child, so it's definitely um, been researched and proven. So we just trying to get inside the minds of these people, right? So he was the oldest. Of all of these kids. Interesting. You're the oldest. Huh. Well, that's why I said we, we're usually right and do it. everything perfect and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, he was also highly intelligent, obviously, um, mm-hmm. driven, and he was expected to be a success. That was another cultural form, which I wish we had some of it back. Not so much in the idea that success means you step all over everybody, but in the idea of be somebody, you know, be, be someone that has an impact on society in a good way. And, um, so I, you know, what's sad though, I couldn't hardly find anything on Dan because when you search his name, she comes up like literally you search, put in Google Dan Broderick. Yeah, that's true. I tried to look at him. Yeah, and it was sad. Yeah. So I, I couldn't all, find as much. All I know from the true stories was that he was very intelligent. You'll be able to explain all the degrees in a minute and driven. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, then, and you know what? He was dedicated to her at first. He was. And we'll mm-hmm. see where things might have started to break down. But um, so, you know, it's sad because, like, even with Linda, I couldn't find much about her. And of all the cases we've done, I've never seen that happen. You know, when I search for a victim, I get the case, I get some victim background, some better than others. But it's like Betty Broderick's personality has swallowed up the victims. It really has. Yeah. When you mention her, they oh, how sad, or oh, what a horrible woman. Very rarely do they really say anything about Dan or Linda. Yeah. And victims can tend to get lost, you know, yes. in the examination of the poop bird that did the, you know, yes. crime. But happens a lot. It does. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, we have a true crime podcast, you know. So, right. so. Um, now, he met Betty in 1965. Mm-hmm. At the University of Notre Dame, or is it Notre Dame? I think it's Notre, no, Notre, see, Notre Dame. Notre Dame? Yeah. In Indiana. That's what they say on the sports. Some say yeah. Notre Dame. Notre. You know, I mean, yeah. 
They just want to be fancy. So from what several sources said, she wasn't interested in Dan at all. And I could see why. So if you look at her, and I'm going to show you some pictures, stunning. She was yeah. stunning. She even modeled some. Uh, she was an extrovert. She was a very tall blonde. And he was like a studious-looking introvert. Like, um, what's that show with the, the kid that had the glasses and the wizardry and all that stuff? Like, he looks like him. Harry Potter. Yeah. You know, uh, a very known show. Yeah. But go ahead. Okay. But he also knew what he wanted, and he wanted Betty Broderick. Mm-hmm. So what he did is he basically um, bugged her until they were finally married April 12th, 1969. Now, let me go to my desk. I think she only went out with him because she thought he'd leave her alone after. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. Um, this is her mm-hmm. as uh, a teenager. This is her and Dan. And I actually think that as he aged, he got better looking. Yeah. Um, but this is her and Dan when they were younger. Um, this is them when they, you know, probably got out to California. Um, let me see if there's anything here. Nope. So I thought I had a picture, though. Let me. Dan and Betty Broderick early. Let me see if I can find. There is one. I Sometimes my computer swallows up stuff, but there's their wedding pictures. Um, so there they are. Oh, yeah. She's he gorgeous. Like nerd, doesn't he? Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah, so he definitely is uh, nerdy, um, but she's absolutely stunning. And then you've got him later, and he definitely aged well. Like I, I to me, he just got you know more and more handsome as he uh, got older, grew up. I guess I don't know. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, some pictures of them from the early years. Okay, and she always took care of herself. She always was a slim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, until she got really stressed with everything, and then she gained some weight. Okay, so this is from an article on Elle, and I always put the links in our show notes. Betty, who was visiting with a girlfriend for the weekend, told the L.A. Times that she wasn't initially attracted to Dan, who, quote, had long, skinny sideburns, round tortoise shell glasses. You're talking geek city. So I don't even know if people nowadays know what geek is. Um, but Daniel pursued Betty via mail. So for our listeners who don't know, you know, back in the day, we didn't have email and stuff. Texting. So you had to use mail. You had to write your letters. You might could type them maybe. Or you go to their house. Right. And Mm -hmm. I don't think they lived in the same place though. So they had this correspondence going back and forth because she went back home to New York and then the, the two reconnected when he moved to Manhattan to study medicine at Cornell University uh, campus there. Right. Didn't he do medicine first, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he went, and I'll, and I'll get into that. Um, now, she said that what eventually got her interested in him was her common backgrounds, their ambitions. Uh, so, again, that was a very key thing for both of them. And so he finally persuaded her to marry him. He's, she said that he asked her to marry him every day for three years. 
What? Mm-hmm. Every day? Mm-hmm. How long did you say they dated? Was it four years or five? They met in 65 and married in 69. Oh, okay, four. For now, three years. Yeah, for three years. Yeah. And then they I'm pretty curious why she kept turning him down that long. She didn't like him. Yeah, but she dated him for four years. No, so they, they didn't years. live in the same town. And they just did email correspondence. Oh, and so yeah. he would ask her all the time to marry him. Now, I don't know how you would do it every day unless he wrote her a letter every day or called. Uh, now, what I'm about to share is going to be really important to remember um, for the future. All right. Let me have it. Okay. Betty and her family, again, well-to-do, successful right. people. They wanted Dan to wear a tuxedo for the wedding. But okay. instead, he showed up in a blue pinstripe suit with brown shoes. I'm not of that age, you know, like maybe since you're closer. Was that a bad thing? Well, it depends how formal the wedding was. It was formal. It was like you saw her dress. A tuxedo. Uh, to me, he's a little defiant. That's what, okay, so I don't know if it was because he was a poor college student. I don't think so because yeah. his family did good financially. But, you know, sometimes a good financial sound families will make their kids pay for college and figure it out, which is a good thing, actually. Um, so I'm I not a defiant. Well, here's what I thought. It put, his, her, her family would have would have gotten a tuxedo. Yes, they would have. Yeah. I feel... This shows the value he put on the union from the start. Yeah. And it's going to come up later. Yeah, that's true. So keep that in mind. Now, fast forward, they're on their honeymoon. And Mm -hmm. they took a cruise to the Caribbean. Right. Betty came back pregnant with her first daughter, Kim. Which a lot of people did. Mm -hmm. Plus they were Catholic. So they didn't believe in birth control. Especially back then. They may... Now, but I don't know. I'm not Catholic. But yeah. Back then, they didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I think they finally relaxed, you know, as far as birth it. control. Uh, now, she gave birth to four children, a daughter named Lee they had in 1971, a son named Daniel. Actually, that might have to be 1970, because if they got married in 69 in April, then it would have been 70. It would and then a son named Daniel, uh, they're saying in 76, an unnamed boy that died four days after his birth, and oh. then Rhett in 1979. So you've got Kim, another daughter named Lee, a son named Daniel, and then the baby named Red. Red? Like Rhett. The microphone? Mm-mm. Rhett. Rhett. Like Gone with the Wind? Yes. All right. Not revealing your age at all. But anyway, okay. So we have the suit on their wedding day. Then we have this situation. When Betty's third child, the little boy, died four days later, Dan was away skiing with friends. Right. And so I'm like, why would, okay, first of all, why would you be skiing so close to your wife's due date? And then she said, and I do believe this, that he was angry with her for ruining his first ski trip in years. I, I did, narcissist. Maybe, but it, it devastated her so much that mm-hmm. she uh, attempted suicide in 1973. 
I mean, I, she later that year, I'm sorry, attempted right. suicide. Then in 1973, she got her first of two abortions. To punish him. Well, no, he just would never discuss birth control, and they were already struggling financially because she was working all the time, and she was, right. quote, badly traumatized by the death of her son. This surprised me because I didn't know as a Catholic, so you're all conservative, you won't have birth control, but you'll abort a baby. So that, baby. that was kind of weird. But also, um, you know, it's like, well— I mean, why is he letting this happen? Like, why why isn't he supporting his wife better? Well, I don't know why he isn't. I didn't know that she got abortions. Or maybe I did and I just had forgotten about it. Well, and being a Catholic, even to this day, now there might be a movement where people are, you know, saying that Catholics should abort right. babies. But back then, no, 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 no. You did not no, do that. Not and so... Then. And you know what? They didn't even have many of the places you could do that. No. A lot of them did it at home or tried. Yeah. No, it, mm -hmm. it, that surprised me. I didn't know about that. Okay. So you don't think his detachment of her emotionally is a little bit narcissist? I actually think it's his personality. Now, he might be narcissistic to a degree, uh -huh. or he was. But, yeah, I'm going to get into the personality deal because I think okay. that's why it was a disaster from the start. He, They never probably should have married. Okay, so things get off to a bad start with the wedding. Um, they get to the honeymoon. They're in the hotel. And Betty wanted to know where the maids were for the room. You know, like any hotel, they come into your room. And he fired all of them, basically. And he said, well, I have you now. You can do the cooking and the cleaning. Oh, my. So if this is true, it shows once again a lack of value for yes. Betty. Which later in the story, clearly you can see that for sure. And, I mean, quite frankly, that was a typical mindset, though, back then. I mean, the wife can do all that stuff. So it could have also been a cultural thing. But even if it was cultural, that's your bride. you know. Yeah, that's true. But it's not like it's a one-time thing. Mm -hmm. He went on a skiing trip. Mm -hmm. he didn't care. I guess she had boarded two babies. We don't know. We don't know what he's thinking. Yeah. So it's not like that just one thing he did wrong. You yeah. Know, there's, a of things. there's definitely a pattern, which he admitted to later. Uh, so, you know, she took it in stride. She was, uh, is a, well, was a very pragmatic person. And she said, quote, it was the deal I made. It was the kind of family we both were from. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's very normal. And um, so, I, I mean, again, if that was a n normal culture, I would still think, though, that this is your new bride. So there should be maybe at least during the honeymoon some pampering and, you Not know. tell all the maids to leave. Yeah. Yeah. So your wife can do it. So that, to me, would be a red flag anyway. Yeah. The, the suit, yeah. the... Um, being away on ski trips when you're about to have a baby and getting mad because you have to come home. And then the honeymoon definitely are signs things are not right. going to go well. Exactly. Okay. And quickly too, very quickly. It was pretty quick, yeah. So mm -hmm. on top of all of that, money was tight for many years. Um, mm -hmm. 
And again, you know, you might be like, well, if money was tight, why were they having all those babies? Well, birth control was not allowed in the Catholic Church, neither was abortion. So I'm not sure why they didn't choose one or, you know, instead of the other. It is. You know what? A lot of people, though, do that. It's really strange. When that suits them. Yeah. I'm like, well, if you're going to abort babies, it's clearly against Catholic doctrine. Then just get on birth control. But anyway, I I mean, for people that are listening, I might offend a lot of people, but I am not uh, in line with that stuff. So um, now, okay, so Catholics back then, they had as many babies as they felt God would give them. Dan was in medical school mm-hmm. and providing for the family then fell on Betty. She did teach a bit after they got married, but I guess back then, and I kind of faintly remember this from my grandmother, that once you started to show, they didn't want you working. Like, oh, no, yeah. What was up with that? I don't know, thought it was dangerous. Just like, you know, when I had you, you know, they, now they give epidural, but back then they wouldn't give you anything because they thought it would harm the baby. Mm-hmm. So who knows? That even was before my time. Mm-hmm. I wondered if maybe it was like some cultural thing too back then that they didn't want women that were pregnant to be seen in professional settings. Oh, I don't know if that's it. Because she taught school. I mean, what could be dangerous? And she's already showing, so she's not going to lose the baby at this point, typically. That's true. A lot of people hit it back then, though. Yeah, it was a weird deal. And there was a scene in the um, Dirty uh, John Betty Broderick story where she said, as soon as I start showing, I'm not going to be able to work there. And sure enough, that's what happened. So Mm -hmm. she got to use her degree for a little bit. Uh, Then once she started to show, she had to quit her job. And that was another, you know, again, stress. Mm -hmm. Uh, she did work outside the home at several different jobs to make ends meet. Plus she sold Avon and Tupperware. Now, from what I can tell, and this is outside all the movies, like from my research, Dan was an emotionally absent father and husband. I believe it. Yeah. So he might've been in the home, but he was usually studying, um, that's why it's, I found it interesting towards the end that he had the kids. But I don't think he wanted the kids. We'll get into that, yeah. Linda's the one that was a driving force on that. But, yeah, we'll get mm. into that. Mm, well, I, yeah. He wanted a family, and, you know, it's his kids. You're, of course, going to. No, not necessarily. It, it didn't come up in my research that she cared one way or another. How he ended up with the kids is an interesting story. Um, but you know, so you got this, you know, personality that's introverted. He's studious by nature. He's in medical school. She's taking care of, you know, at least two kids at this point, trying to work and support them. And, uh, all the finances and everything are on her. And she said she was glad to do it because she was also ambitious. And she knew that all the sacrifices now would pay off in the future. Exactly. So it wasn't easy, but she did pay off for a while. Not very long, though. See, that's the thing oh, no. for her, at least. So right. it, it, she's tough. She was tough mentally, and she was tough emotionally, and she just did it. And the other thing is, she did seem very supportive of him. Um, I think part of it was her ambition and what she knew was coming, but yeah. also I do think she loved Dan. She would have done anything for him. I think. Okay, so 
Um, we're going to finish up with this background and a recap, and then we'll okay. go into part two. All right. So after Kim's birth, Dan completed his MD degree, became a medical doctor. And I'm mm-hmm. sure she's like, yes, you know, now he'll find somewhere to practice medicine. Things are going to be great. Well, you can relax. Yeah. Finally, you know, have some financial security. And then he announced that he wanted to study law. Right. So he wanted to get a degree from Harvard Law School so that he could combine his medical and legal degrees so that he could then target malpractice cases. He was smart. He was really smart, and he very was very smart. successful. I mean, how many do you know gets a medical and a law degree? That's what I was thinking. And so you can imagine she's like, what? And now it's go through all this again. And it was like he persuaded her to like, hey, if I do this, I will be one of the few lawyers that's both a medical doctor and a lawyer to where I can go after malpractice cases in a way that no other lawyer can. It probably looked good to her. Do what? It probably looks good to her. Probably. I mean, shoot. Her future. Yeah. Yeah. Her future. Mm -hmm. And he's smart. And I don't know if you know if he did or not, but. Did he graduate early on both those? I don't know. Classes? I couldn't add up the the numbers um, because I'm not sure how long he went to, you know, all of them and how long you're supposed to go. Um, but he did finish it, got his degree. He was very successful during that time. Betty continued to support the family. They got a student loan that helped as well. He graduated in 1973 and a law firm, Gary, Gary, Ames, and Fry in San Diego, California, hired him immediately. They snatched him up. Mm-hmm. So he moved his family to La Jolla. Is that how you say it? Oh, yeah. yeah, La Jolla. Which was a community of San Diego, an upper-scale neighborhood, to what they call the Coral Reef House. Mm-hmm. So even at that, that, do what? Why do they call it that? I'm assuming it is by Coral Reefs. Well, no. Unless they lived on the beach. I don't remember La Jolla's beach area. I don't know. I don't know. It's been a while. Um, Now, Betty still worked part-time, and she continued to sell Avon and Tupperware even after they moved out there. So I looked up La Jolla. It's spelled like La Jolla. It is, yeah. (laughs) It's kind of like here we've got Yano Estacado, and everybody says Lano. (laughs) Okay, so it is a hilly uh, seaside neighborhood within the city of San Diego. What is uh, seaside? Seaside? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's why it's. And then it's seven miles of curving coastland or coastline along the Pacific Ocean. The population in 2010 was 46,781. So it's a small community in San Diego. Uh, it is surrounded on three sides by ocean bluffs and beaches. It's located 12 miles north of downtown San Diego. And 40... well, I'm really off. Yeah. Well, you're yawning really the whole off. time, so obviously I'm boring you, and your mind's probably going to sleep, and so you're no, not it calculating no, it data. I, just don't, I don't remember it being by the bed, but hence the name of the house. And then it was 45 miles south of Orange, Orange County. Uh, the average temperature is like 70 degrees. I know. I missed that. It was yeah. home... 
to many educational institutions, a variety of businesses in the areas of lodging, dining, shopping, software, finance, real estate, bioengineering, medical practice, and scientific research. So you've have you been to La Jolla? Yes. Okay. Years and years and years ago. As you can tell, because I didn't know it was by the beach. Okay. So I'm sure it's gorgeous. I mean, from the pictures, it looked really pretty. In fact, I think I have a picture. Of their house? Mm-hmm. There it is. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. That's real nice. Yeah. Because there were two houses, in, or three houses in question, and so... That one was the Coral Reef house. This is a house she lived in um, uh, as a rental. And and then this one is the house that Dan moved into after they separated. And that door is the one that she rammed Mm -hmm. with her vehicle, Mm -hmm. which we'll, of course, get into. Right. Okay. So let me stop my screen share. That way we can get back. Okay. In 1978, Dan left the firm to start his own practice is wildly successful. He worked a number of high profile medical malpractice cases in San Diego. He was then this, uh, became the president of the San Diego County Bar Association in 1987. Which is interesting. Mm-hmm. That's quite an honor, boy. Mm-hmm. Um, it appears needs, the listeners need to keep that in mind. Yes, they do. Explain some of the stuff later. Yes. Yes, they do. Uh, it appears she was very supportive of his career and his ambitions of having his own law, law firm. She de- firm. She decorated his offices. Uh, she encouraged him in spite of him working 14 to 16 hour days. So what that means, he was never home. He never saw his family. Oh, mm um, and I don't doubt that because she was, you know, definitely ambitious herself. But back then, you know, that's what dads did. Mm-hmm. Of course, not all of them are doctors and lawyers, but. That still were, seems like an awful lot of time. It is an awful lot, I think. And, but my dad worked long, long hours. Well, and she enjoyed the money and the success, too. Who wouldn't? And she deserved it. I mean, she sacrificed a lot. She did. Okay, so let's recap. And then we'll end this episode, and then we'll go into part two. Because I want to make sure the timeline's correct. And I know I'm giving a lot of background, but it's important because I only picked the things that would give context for what occurs later. Okay. Dan and Betty meet in 1965, marry in 1969. They -hmm. had their first daughter in 70, followed by four other children. So they had four kids by 1979. So this mm-hmm. is 14 years. Okay. They've got these kiddos. Um, no, sorry. 10. Good grief. Um, he graduated. I'm shaking from, my head. Yeah. 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 Please. Absolutely. It's 14 years. I mean, absolutely. you know, 69 plus 79 is 14. <laughs> but, right. but they've been together 14 years. And then mm-hmm. he graduated from med school. He went on to law school, graduated in 73. That was the best year ever because that's when I was born and brought into the world. It was. And then he worked for a law firm until 1978. He opened his own, and he was so successful that um, from 78 until their divorce, he made millions. And that was a lot back then. A million back then was like a billion today. Yeah, it was a lot. So he worked hard for it, too. He did. 
mm-hmm. did. He was very dedicated and he loved what he did. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts so far before we go to uh, part two? I agree. They should have never married. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it sort of changed. The dynamic changed where when they had everything, they seemed happier. You know what I mean? The more successful they got. Of course, he was gone a lot. So, she was I mean, happier because she finally had some fruit of her sacrifice. And the kids didn't have to want for anything. She had her home. Good friends. You know? Yeah, good friends. Always looking good. Mm-hmm. And he was working yeah. all the time. Yeah. Which yeah. we'll get into her personality in part two and his. But with her personality, she would have been probably okay with that long mm-hmm. hours life because she was very independent, could occupy herself. But it's never healthy for a marriage to be apart that much. And also back then and even some today, uh, it's just sort of accepted when they work so much because you're, you know, women, I even hear it today. Well, he's working a lot of hours, but he's trying to, you know, we're trying to buy a house, Mm -hmm. trying to do this. But then after you get the house, then you have to work hard still. To keep the house. Pay for it. Keep Mm it. I mean, it's just it's just a cycle. Yeah. Yeah, it can turn into a rat race for sure. But for them, they're finally living the high life, becoming part of society uh, in a tangible way. You know, that type of society that goes to all the fancy parties that they, you know, hold the glasses with their pinky out and stuff back in the day. You know, I still do that when I drink something because, you know, I went to charm school. I'm just saying. And I learned to hold the. You went to charm school? When we were first adopted, mom put me and Diana in charm school. And you know what I remember about it? I remember about the Civil War, they teach you. And I remember walking with books on my head. And I was very impressed because I was a fast learner. So what That's happened? All I really remember. So what happened? The Civil War. I don't know. We might have got bored. I mean, you know, we were six when we first got there. I was. So maybe we got bored, gone to the next thing. Mm. <laughs> Okay. So charm school, for those that have never heard of that, was to teach you to walk with books on your head? Yeah, and how to drink tea or coffee, um, how to address people, shake your hand. So be highfalutin. Things that, you know, a lot of people don't have today. Manners. Being polite, manners. Okay. Talking properly. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, that's something I didn't know about. I don't do any of that now. No. You're lucky to see people not in Walmart and pajamas. Okay. Yeah. All right. So this will solidify part one. We're now going to introduce the next character in our story, uh, Linda Kulkana. Okay. Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? <laughs> <laughs>